Our Gospel reading today is from the 15th chapter of John, verses 1 through 9. We who consider ourselves Christian, who claim that Christ has become the Lord of our lives, have been instructed to bear fruit, outward expressions of our faith that is worthy of our calling. We are to love our enemies, to forgive us Jesus forgave, to be aggressively kind towards those who hate us, to pray for those who despitefully use us, to be overcomers, to give thanks in all things, believing that all things, even those which annihilate our fondest hopes, work together for our good. We are to take no thought for our life, what we shall eat or what we shall drink, nor yet for our body, what we shall put on. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, to let our requests be made known unto God. We are to rejoice in the Lord always, to pray without ceasing, to be holy, for God is holy. Jesus has told us that if we believe in him, rivers of living water would flow from our innermost being. We are to stand out in bold, unmistakable contrast from the ways of the world, blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, shining as lights in the darkness. We are not to pamper ourselves, nor seek self-gratification, nor love ourselves, but to renounce our own self-seeking, to daily bear the cross, and that our affections are to be set on things above, and not on those things of the earth. How is it that we are expected to attain to these things? The words of Christ bid us to soar, to rise above all the vicissitudes that are common to this life, yet we have not the wings to do so. We are not angels but mere mortals. It is not natural to love our enemies. It is not natural to rejoice always. It is not natural to be thankful for those things that hurt us. It is not natural to deny ourselves of those things that others have. It is not natural to walk as Jesus walked. And that is the heart of the entire matter. It is not natural. It is supernatural. For it is not in our nature to do so. And that is why we must be given a new nature, a nature from above. It is not a question of mere ethics, of morality, of trying to do better, of right or wrong. It is a question of whether or not we are Christ-like. And when I use that term, I do not mean to act like Christ or try to be like Christ. So many Christians, well-meaning Christians, have been living their life under that false illusion. So many have conceived of the Christian life as an imitation of Christ. We are not called to imitate Christ. We are told to partake of Christ. Not imitation of, but participation of Christ. So many are attempting to do what the Savior himself never expected us to do. Rather, we are told to take his yoke upon us, to make God our dwelling place, our hiding place, to abide in him to enter into that mystical union, that spiritual oneness with him of all believers. The predominant problem with Christianity today, and believe me, there is one, is that there is too much of us and not enough of Christ. For he is God. He is the beloved of the Father. He is the resurrection and the life, the Alpha and the Omega. He is the Holy One, the true vine, the way, the truth, and the life. And he would be so even if we did not exist. We so easily forget that the purpose of our life, its one object and aim, that which alone gives it its worth, is to bear fruit to the glory of the Father. And to realize this end, we must abide in Christ. 
as the branch does so in the vine. God the Father is the vine dresser, and Christ is the vine, and we must abide in him. To know the love of God, to experience the love of God, you must live with God in Christ. The same love which God gives to his Son, the Son gives to us. And therefore we dwell, we abide, we are brought into the heart of, through his Holy Spirit, the love of the Father towards the Son. Is it possible for the believer always to abide in Jesus? Is a life of unbroken fellowship with the Son of God indeed attainable here in this earthly life? Not if the abiding is our work, if it is attempted in our own strength, if we think that we can accomplish it by our own human efforts and good intentions. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has said that he is the true vine and that his Father is the husbandman. And why is he the true vine? It is because he is the source of all true spiritual grace, all spiritual life, and all spiritual fruit. He is the source, the wellspring of it all. These glorious and divine things that God asks from you and I cannot be mustered up with human strength. They cannot be drawn from the barren well of our own humanity. They do not spring out of our dedication. They do not come out of our devotion. For he is the source. Not a source, but the source. The only source for anything that's ever going to be godlike in you. Anything that's ever going to be good. Anything that's ever going to be spiritual. Anything that's going to have any eternal worth. If we could but grasp what Jesus is telling us, we would immediately resist any notion that we are the source of any of our own fruitfulness. And we would even begin to disdain our having ever thought that we were. Unfortunately, when we talk about fruit, we automatically kick into our American mindset, thinking that the fruit that Jesus is talking about is that which we can do, about activity, about works. That's not what God is interested in. He does not want activity. He wants character. For it is his intention for us to be conformed to the image of Christ, that he, Christ, might be the firstborn amongst many brethren, that he would have his rightful preeminence in creation. Jesus is the true vine, and his father is the husbandman. Vineyards and vines do not grow or produce as they should, by themselves, without the overseeing and work of a vine dresser. A husbandman. So many of us so many times fight against a certain work of God, the husbandman, as he is doing his vine dressing, that without which we would never produce excellent fruit. We have been so led into believing that everything difficult, everything that conflicts, everything that scrapes us, that hurts, that works as a rasp on our life, that takes away our comfort, must be either from the devil or from our own lack of faith. Alas, that is what living in a soft, self-pleasing country such as America has taught us. A Christianity of comfort and of ease. You must realize that there are two sides to discipline, but most of us only see the one side of it. When you were young, if your parents corrected you for something you did, you knew you were being disciplined because you did something wrong. But when we come to our Heavenly Father's discipline, we are on totally different ground. 
When we consider God's discipline, we must not think that it is because we have sinned or done something wrong. In fact, you may be the most righteous, most devout person on earth, always desiring to do God's will and still be disciplined. In fact, even more so, not because you are doing wrong, but precisely because you are doing right. And it is God's desire, God's will, God's eternal design to prune and perfect so that he may ever produce more fruit. Remember, to be disciplined by God means that you are a disciple. Same word. And this discipline is not a one-time exercise. It is a lifetime of training, a lifetime of pruning, a lifetime of cutting, a lifetime of cleansing unto that day when we behold him and enter into glory. And there is another element of this truth that has been oh so lost today. And that is that so much of the pruning of the Father is inward and is not even outwardly obvious to others. So how, you may ask, does a branch abide in the vine? We see in this portion of our text the mention of prayer and the word of God and keeping the commandments. And so people pull these things out and say, that's how you abide, by praying, by reading the word, by keeping his commandments. But that is not it. Rather, those are the evident products of abiding, but not how we abide. It is rather amazing, really. Christ has just expressed maybe one of the greatest truths of all Christianity, that we must abide in him, the true vine, or else we can do nothing. And yet he does not tell us in so many words how to abide in the vine. If he were one of our modern-day teachers giving a seminar, he would have delineated the five or six methods, the exact formula by which we can abide. But he doesn't do any such thing. And why not? Because he has already told us all we need to know when he has said, He is the vine and we are the branches. So how does a branch abide in a vine? By being a branch. Not by doing something to become a branch. We don't see little pieces of wood or twigs wandering around the forest looking for a vine to attach themselves to. Once connected, we do not hear them groaning and struggling trying to hold on. A branch does not attach itself to the vine. It grows out of the vine, and it is completely a work of the vine that grows it. It is the life of the vine that has created it. It is a creation of the vine from the very beginning. The branch doesn't have to do something to become a branch. It simply is a branch. And if we have been regenerated by Christ, if we have truly experienced death to our old man and have received new life in him, we become one of those branches growing out of the vine with total dependence on the vine. It is not by our doing something. God has made you united with Christ and flowing out of him is this ever-flowing, never-ending nourishment called the Holy Spirit. God has made you a part of his son, the true vine, and he is flowing his power through that vine to each of the branches. And herein is the Father glorified that we bear much fruit.